Hi everyone, this is Yin, and welcome to Growth and Failure. This show highlights extraordinary people that inspire and motivate me to level up. I'll have conversations with a wide range of profiles from entrepreneurs and athletes, investors to educators, you name it. I love hearing people's different journeys. For me, the biggest lessons learned and opportunities to grow come from the struggle, the pain, the defeat. And I hope hearing these stories inspire you to not fear that messy middle or failure, but rather motivates you to reflect, to keep learning, and ultimately to keep growing. For more information, please visit growthandfailure.com for more updates. And please write a review if you can. They really do help other people find this show. Thanks for listening. This is the story of Lon Pham, founder of the food and beverage brand Sang. In this episode, we discuss Lon's incredible journey, starting with her immigration story from Vietnam with her single mother and seven other siblings. Now, the journey alone at the very beginning of the episode grabbed my attention in how eight children and their single mom were separated to three different countries and refugee camps, all to find each other before cell phones and websites, but all found each other in Wichita, Kansas. What? <laughs> I know. And then the story goes on from there, and we discuss her professional journey and ultimately the genesis behind Sang, the product that she created during COVID. For those who don't know Vietnamese, the word Sang has a few different meanings. When pronounced Sang, Sang is morning and bright, so it has a few meanings there, but also Sang, spelled the same, also can mean elegant and refined. I love this conversation so much, I think I said love about 50 times <laughs> in the episode, not only for my love of her coffee, but also her passion to create this mission-led business of sharing our Vietnamese culture through drink and food. Please enjoy this interview with the bright and elegant Sang and Sang Lawn Fam. Hi, Lan. Welcome to the show. Hi, Yen. It's so good to see you. Well, virtually, but we'll do this in person at some point. That's time. And I want to send a big thank you to Locke Bukak because he mentioned you several months ago, but I've known him for a while and he had always sung your praises. And so the last time we met up at a conference, he's like, you need to meet with her because she is extraordinary and I am so grateful and now I can see why. So thank you to Locke for that. Yeah, we'll both thank Locke. He's a great guy and I'm glad that he connected us. So we had so much in common on our first call. So I'm excited to do this podcast with you and thank you for having me. You started this amazing coffee brand focused on, I mean, the brand by itself is amazing. But before we get into saying, I'd love to rewind your highlight reel all the way back. I always am so interested and fascinated by where people grew up, what their story was and their background. So if you don't mind sharing your childhood story of where you grew up. Sure. I'll start all the way in the beginning from baby, because I think that is the genesis of saying, and honestly, like the genesis of luckily where I am today in the trajectory and so impressive of where our family and I've come from. So I was born in Vietnam in Bung Tho, a little beach town outside of Saigon. And I was the youngest of eight. And my mom was able to flee Vietnam in the middle of the night with 
eight kids. We all went in different waves because it was impossible to go unnoticed. A large family of nine like that without any red flags to the communists who were pretty much patrolling all the docks and the fishing boats in the middle of the night back then after the fall of Saigon. So we went in waves and we all ended up in three different refugee camps, my siblings, my mom and myself. And we reunited in Wichita, Kansas and in Kansas City. And we lived in Kansas for, I would say, just a couple of years, a few years. And from there, we moved to Orange County, where there's a fairly large Vietnamese population and where my mom just scrapped together everything herself to raise eight kids, a single mom by herself. And again, I was the baby, so I didn't feel the brunt of the poverty that we felt growing up that my older siblings did. It's a eight-year age difference between myself and my brother, who is closest to me. And we were dirt poor when we came here. And for my mom to raise a couple doctors, engineers, and successful business owners and I'm not a doctor, so I don't count to her, (laughs) but I think she would be proud of most definitely where our family ended up just 40 years later from that journey on the little boat out of Saigon to where I am today. All of us are today. Incredible. In just a few minutes, you glossed over some of the most extraordinary stories. And so I can relate because my parents did the same thing. And only now in my 40s do I fully appreciate the risk, the danger, how they felt or potentially would have felt, and yet they still did it. It is just unbelievable. So just to ask a few questions, if you don't mind about that, how in the world did before the world of cell phones and and true technology to help you find each other, how in the world did nine people get separated and then in different refugee camps around the world and then find each other in Kansas? So the stories gets passed down from my siblings and my mom, and it's just not even old wives tale. It's just, I think everyone had PTSD, honestly, from that. And just their memory is probably lacking in some areas, but you know, like by and large, from what I've been pieced together from my siblings and my mom, we were in three different refugee camps back in the day. They all had bulletin boards, like, and newspapers or flyers that would release on a monthly or weekly basis, something like that. And I think my mom knew that my sister, so I'll go in the order. Number one and three ended up in, I want to say Singapore, two and four ended up in Thailand and number four through eight, myself with my mom ended up in Indonesia. And so we were all in different refugee camps. And I think my sister was like a second mother to me. She's 20 years older than me. And she pretty much, she spearheaded all of our paperwork to receive political asylum in the U.S. So she found out where we were in each different refugee camps by these bulletins and by hearsay. I heard someone ended up here or whatever, but I know that my mom knew that she was in a specific refugee camp. So she wrote a letter to there. And then she, my sister eventually like looked for us at the other ones posting bulletins. That is so incredible. And for those who don't know, I'm familiar because we had the same structure of calling each other and our aunties by number. So, (laughs) but when you say one and three, two and four, four through eight, so my mom is the oldest of 12 and I only call them Anti two, anti three, anti four, because it is a number system without any folks. But it's incredible. And we talked about this in our prior conversation. But my guess is our moms probably know each other because she was in the refugee camp in Indonesia. 
So it's just crazy small world. And so fast forward, you met all in Kansas amazingly and then somehow found yourself in California. How did that journey happen to Orange County? I think, number one, the temperature and the climate in California was much more appealing than in Kansas. I mean, back in the day, 40 years ago or 30 something years ago at this point, like it was really cold in Kansas. And when it would snow, you open the front door and like it was three feet of snow. And I think a a few winters like that. And my mom was like, this is terrible. I want to leave. Same with my siblings. And so also like everyone, since I was the youngest, I stayed with my mom through obviously the longest out of everyone growing up and people got married, people went away to college. And so as my sister got married and moved away and then my brothers all went to college, I think it just made sense for my mom to move to California where my sister was so she could help support us and take care of my mom who was still learning the language herself. Amazing. Maybe I'm going to ask your mom to be on the show because a single mom raising eight kids fleeing a war-torn country, that is inspiring as all heck to me. And so here you are in Orange County, one of the biggest Vietnamese cities in the country. How did you choose the college you went to and why? Because that's something where I'm so interested in hearing how people chose the college, because what you discover now is when you're 17 or 18, people had no clue what they wanted to do or be. And yet here you are picking the college, picking your major and setting your life path off. But how did you choose the college you went to and why? Again, we were just in survival mode, all of us. And I think my mom, being really afraid of the system, did not want any of my siblings to have debt, myself to have debt, any student loans or anything like that. So most definitely in-state was the way that she knew. And both of my brothers, they stayed in Kansas, actually, because they went to KU and then they went to KU Med. And so it was just easier and cheaper for my mom to support. And my sister, who there's a lot about my mom, but my sister is really the unsub hero in the family, where she most definitely spearheaded and supported all of us through college. And so it was primarily a financial decision. And like I said, I'm the youngest. And so we moved around quite a bit because as we started to make more money, and I said, like, when we first moved here, we were in deep poverty. We were in government housing for a year or two. And then eventually when we moved to California, it was more stable. So I went to private school. I went to Catholic school. But as we became upwardly mobile, I had had to change schools every couple of years or a sibling was moving because my mom was always tacked on to another sibling with me because she was a single mom and just to help raise me as well. And so my junior year of high school, I had to move to Colorado with my brother, with my mother, because she was ill and it was just a much better situation for my mom and myself to move to Denver with my brother. Again, everyone is married. Everyone is off making money in med school, college or whatever. And so it's just my mom. And so my brother had just gotten married to his wife. And so he said, you know what, come here, Lon and you and Lon can come. Everyone calls me T like that's my Vietnamese name that everyone calls me like my my name is Lante but my siblings all call me T so my brothers were like bring T here and she can finish college here finish high school here and then go to college and so really it was just a financial decision honestly to go to CU incredible so then you go to CU what was your experience like there you kind of on your own without your siblings and your mom there what was that experience like and then if you can talk about your first job out of college 
when you go away and you are on your own and, you know, for me, it was really difficult because my mom was making money. We we're all finally, everyone was doing better than we were 10 years ago or 15 years ago when we first came to America. And when I went to college, my sister was the one that paid for my room and board and like making sure that I, you know, again, never carrying debt or anything like that. I thought I wanted to be a lawyer. And so thought I wanted to go to law school, but political science, it was like, I'm pretty combative and pretty like <laughs> aware on social issues. And that's what I thought I wanted to do. But obviously that didn't work out. And after college, I was an assistant at a hedge fund in Denver and just worked there and eventually led to me meeting my husband. And then I moved to New York and I've lived in New York for the last almost 20 years because my son is 17. <laughs> Incredible. And along the way, as you moved to New York, you had a career not in law, as you originally thought, but more so in marketing PR. So can you share a little bit more about that? Yeah, of course. You go out and I think I felt a lot of disappointment from my mom. I just did not follow any of the path that she wanted me to being a doctor like my, my siblings or anything like that. And even to this day, she doesn't understand what brand partnerships and marketing <laughs> is. And having done that for more than a decade, trying to explain that to my elderly mother, she's like, it doesn't seem valuable to her. And then I did brand partnerships, definitely in the hospitality space and travel and I was just surrounded by a lot of interesting founders in apparel and beauty and skincare and just in awe of any sort of founder and their journey there. And during COVID, I took a shot at it because I was forelode for a few months because obviously nobody was traveling. And so the travel space was not doing quite well. That's how I came up with my idea of just doing my own thing. It's like, it gave me time and space to just breathe and really evaluate what I wanted to do. Incredible. And I could relate to that too, just because I think it's something about either the immigrant journey, the Vietnamese upbringing, maybe the combination of the two, but my parents still don't know what I do. And unless you're a doctor or a lawyer or a dentist, they have no clue, probably no interest. And so my mom thinks my job is just funny. And she's like, okay, you're doing your thing. I don't know what you do, but okay. <laughs> and so there's so much to unpack there, but Fast forward to COVID, you had mentioned that you started this business. For those who don't know, can you share the name and how you came up with the name? Yeah. So during COVID, I was sitting around for load and as everyone just stuck in my home, and I just saw all this traction in investment in ethnic CPG products and most specifically in the Asian e-grocer space in Yami and we, I think they've raised almost $3 billion in the last five years, which made me dig deeper into the products on the website. And it's a lot of our heritage brands that we grew up with. And it's why you go there because you're looking for those heritage brands. But then there also has to be the gap of servicing the first and second generation immigrants or a very wide population of the American public who are interested in Asian flavors, but want it to not be imported from China, Vietnam, and not know where the ingredients come from, not know that it's non-GMO. And so I saw that opportunity and I just sat there and it's like, okay, well, I'd love to represent Vietnam. What does Vietnam and what does that mean? And so what are the two most 
famous and important things out of Vietnam. It's our coffee. If you think about Vietnamese coffee and pho. And I was like, okay, I think coffee is an easier way to go. And I love a cafe <laughs> sada. And growing up in California, like I went to Lee's every weekend. It was, it was a treat for my family and it was a treat for me. And so I really doing this in a really convenient way in an RTD ready to drink can. And I was like, I think I'm on to something here. And so I researched the idea for a little bit, found a food scientist, found a formulator, and then I had the formula. And then I'm like, okay, let's start naming the brand. And what does a lot of it has to do with marketing? And that tied into what I did before with all these founders and that I had worked for in the partnership space and just realizing how important it is to have a very clear marketing message and an identity. And I worked with a phenomenal branding agency and we came up with all the, I listed all these Vietnamese words that were important to me. And I came up with saying, which means sang, which is morning or sang, or it could mean elegant saying bright. And so I really settled on saying because there are so many different meetings, but we really lean on to the word bright sang because, you know, we want your morning to be bright or we want that time in the day to be bright and happy for you. I love it, love it, love it. I showed my mom the brand, the logo, the colors, and also told her the name behind it, and she just loved it. So you have multi-generational approval in our house. <laughs> so for those who don't know, and I didn't know this too, I mean, generically, I knew that pho is such a popular thing that now Americans are obsessed with, and they love the Vietnamese flavors and the Southeast Asian flavors. Can you share more about the coffee industry, both at large and also in Vietnam? Because I didn't know that until our prior conversation. So I went to Vietnam for the first time in 2019, and I didn't know it either. And I didn't know how strong the coffee culture was in Vietnam. Obviously, like I'm Viet Gil, going back to Vietnam, Viet Gil is what they all call the Vietnamese people who fled and lived in America and go back. So when I go back to Vietnam and just experience it for the first time with my boyfriend and was just amazed at the cafe culture, which definitely is an influence of the French colonization during that time. And so that was really interesting to me, all the coffee shops, the cafes sitting on the side of the streets with their cafe sada or their cappuccinos that they loved there too. And my boyfriend was with me and he probably had like three cups of Vietnamese iced coffee or different Vietnamese coffees a day. And it was just such enlightening experience about the coffee culture. And so knowing the experience and culturally how important it is and how it tied into everyday life in Vietnam and Hanoi is specifically more than in Ho Chi Minh. And coming back to the States and wanting to represent Vietnam, and I like, you know, just doing some quick Google searches and understanding about the coffee segment and the coffee market and not really knowing that Vietnam was the second largest exporter to beans in the world just behind Brazil. They supply quite a few beans to Starbucks, obviously. And that just seemed to me like it was so underrepresented and under the radar to a lot of people. I just felt like it was a really great thing to represent Vietnam with. Amazing. And it's unknown even to Vietnamese people who I feel like I, I knew a lot more about the culture, but certainly not that stat. Can you share more about the beans specific to Vietnam, which I also learned from you, but wanted to share with others who might not know? The Robusta bean, it's native to Vietnam. That's why I had no idea when 
growing up, that's why our Vietnamese coffees were so strong and really have a little bitter taste to them. And a really strong note is they have double the amount of caffeine as the other uh, Arabica and the other beans. And so the Robusta bean is native to Vietnam and it it's gained a lot of traction in the last few years for its specialty. But that's what it's really known for is the punch that it provides, the kick, because it's two times the amount of caffeine, basically. You talked about the food scientists and the formula. Can you walk through that process for folks who are just curious about how to build a business, but specifically for this one? How did you do it? Was it literally trial and error drinking hundreds and hundreds of cups of coffee? (laughs) Uh, It wasn't hundreds, it was tens. But yes, it was a lot of sampling with my formulator. And even when you get the final formula in front of you, you think, okay, that's what I thought. I'm like, okay, I have the formula. There's two of them. They're ready to go. The black and the traditional cafe sada. And then you get other people coming in. It's like, well, you need one more skew to be relevant in the grocery store. And so I'm like, okay, that's easy. I'll make a cafe sada with oat milk because oat milk is such a, I mean, you stand in line, everyone orders their coffee with oat milk now. But during the process, you think you're there with the formula and me just Googling, Google is your best friend. I could not have started this 15 years ago, (laughs) 20 years ago. And honestly, my mom couldn't have started this. That's just the time of representation now. But then also access to information was so easy for me on Google. And you obviously have to do a lot of digging and call people and have Zooms and try to get to the bottom of things yourself. But it was just, I have to say, like my own tenacity of just determination of really just wanting to find the answers on how to start this. And so simple as rewind. I know I want it in a can and I know I want it to rival La Cologne. I want it to rival the guys on the shelf next to Starbucks. And that's where I I want it to sit there. I don't want it to sit anywhere else. So you start with that, that idea, and then you work your way backwards. And that starts with the formula. And then you go from the formula and you try to find your manufacturer slash co-packer. Then you have to do test days. And then those can take, I thought I was ready and done, but I had like three delays because of test days. So you think you're done. And then there are a lot of steps, one step forward and three steps back. But yeah, that's where starting the formula and starting the company and actually having a product that's, it took some time there. Amazing. I guess that's the life of the entrepreneur. It's just kind of the up and down. People think it's like amazing success up and to the right, but it's a lot of squiggles and downs and lows and ups <laughs> along the way. One part of our prior conversation you had mentioned is when you think about the roadmap of saying and how to build that out, you had shared a, a, an amazing story that I wanted you to share, if that's okay, about the marketing plan behind it. And so if you could share a few people on your team that really you were so tenacious with in terms of the vision you had of how to build that out and how to really do the PR and marketing behind it. Absolutely. So as of my old life and my time in brand partnerships, I had a couple of founders, co-founders just became really good friends. And one of them, Kyle McClure, he's with Roan and Roan is, they're, they're killing it in the athleisure and they have stores in Hudson Yards and New York and whatnot. But he advised me, he said, you're looking into a really crowded space. Look at the leaders, look at who is doing it and doing it well, and just reach out to them on LinkedIn. So he gave me that advice. And it was honestly, I still do it to this day. It was invaluable to me. And so 
I knew, okay, great. I had a product. I had production time lined up. I had my finance team. I had the ops team. And I knew that I wanted the brand to be DTC centered. I knew that I wanted the cachet and the cool and the hipness of discovery of a DTC brand. And so how do I do digital? How do I do Facebook? Like, I don't understand any of that side of digital. And I got presented to quite a few agencies presented themselves and I just wasn't happy. And I was like, okay, who was really crushing it in the industry? And it's Liquid Death. They have grown exponentially in the last three years. They've only, they launched in 2019 and they are nationwide in Whole Foods and the dedicated supplier of water to Live Nation. And I knew that they did really well on their e-commerce. And that's what I needed. I needed somebody to really help me with my e-commerce. So I just did a lot of Googling. I listened to a, a few podcasts from Mike, the CEO of Liquid Death. And he talked about his executive team and he talked about who helped him. And I stumbled across Hamid, who is the SVP of digital strategy there. And I basically just cold emailed him a few times and just bothered him on LinkedIn saying, hey, do you have time just for a quick conversation with a founder in the CPG space like myself? And just a little nagging and tugging along. And, you know, we got on the phone and I think we just really connected. He loved the vision that I had for saying, and he agreed to come on as an advisor to help me run the digital side. And he's been with me for six months and instrumental in building the website and doing our SEO and everything from the ground up. I love that. It shows so much about you and how tenacious you are, but also just the branding component. I didn't know that Liquid Death only started three years ago, which is incredible, but I've seen them in Whole Foods and I actually didn't know it was water because it's a bold image and, and all that stuff. And the font is aggressive. I'm like, oh, it's water. But talk about amazing marketing <laughs> and branding. So that kind of just roots me back to saying and what I wanted the marketing behind saying to be. I wanted it to be modern. I wanted it to be young and youthful to appeal to myself and then my kids, right? And because that's the generation that is going to be at the target checkout lane that's going to see a saying and it's going to be like, oh, I used to have Vietnamese iced coffee at Lee's or, oh my gosh, I, I saw a TikTok hack on how to make Vietnamese iced coffee. I'm going to try this. And so I needed it. I wanted the branding and the accessibility on on digital to really represent a youthful turn to a youthful push in the brand. And I knew that Hamid could do that with making water. Mike is definitely behind the brand and he definitely like has was this, but Hamid has really pushed a lot of the creative efforts there too and done pretty much rolled out their digital strategy. And I knew that I needed a partner like that. Incredible. And I love the humility behind that because it's one of those things that so many entrepreneurs and founders say, I could do this on my own. And it's a struggle and it's hard to define that bench and support network to really help amplify it. It takes a lens of humility to really incorporate that. Maybe this is the last question on saying before we get to more about you. What are the visions and the grand plan for saying? We call saying a coffee brand right now because it's easy to boil down because we have the three products and it's easy for me when I do the elevator pitch to just explain the, the brand very simply like that. 
But the future for saying is I want to represent, it's a mission-led company. We always say that. And the mission is represent Vietnam in every way possible. And, and you go on the website right now, there's Vietnamese sprinkled throughout it in the review section. On top of that, we're adding little plugins on how to say those specific words in Vietnamese. And so it's really representing Vietnamese culture in a way that's never been fun and accessible. And again, modern and in a way that's digestible for everyone. And so, yes, we're starting with Vietnamese coffee, but eventually we'd like to have other products to represent Vietnam in in the lineup. And that's why our web domain is eat, drink, and not just drink, because I really do believe that Vietnam has so much to share in, in our culture and our food and everything. And so that's what's really behind the brand, the mission to just represent Vietnam in a really modern and fun way for everyone to find and enjoy. I love it, love it, love it. You've had me at both eat and drink, all things flavored with Vietnamese lenses, because it. I just think, I mean, I'm so grateful for the flavors we have. And I take it for granted when you go around somewhere. And I, I know you're a foodie and I enjoy food, too. Vietnamese food is exceptional. <laughs> it just the combination of sweet, sour, the crunch, the texture. It is so complex. And gosh, it is specific to Southeast Asia, but Vietnamese food, gosh, I'm, I'm just grateful we were colonized by the French because the mixture of the pastries, the breads, oh, it is so good. I'm excited to see what else you have in store for saying. And so I'll make sure to plug in your website to the episode notes. But even on the website, I think the listeners will enjoy it. The colors are beautiful. And also, so Lon had mentioned the three flavors, but you mentioned it in Vietnamese. And so to clarify for those who don't know, so it's the basic coffee and then Cafe Suda, which is with milk. Yep, our traditional with milk. And we call it the traditional because it's just a Vietnamese iced coffee and what you know, what you remember when you're growing up or what you've experienced in Vietnamese restaurants. And a traditional black with a touch of vanilla. They're all made with 100% Vietnamese beans. And we have an oat milk that is our take on the modern cafe sedan or the modern Vietnamese iced coffee with oat milk, with our proprietary condensed oat milk recipe. Amazing. You literally have our whole house covered because I'll drink the black version. My mom, she grew up with Cafe Sudas, so she'll love that. And then my husband prefers oat milk. So you got all of us covered. <laughs> no, I just want to say about the Vietnamese food real quick. My kids, sometimes they sit down and I make a good bowl of pho or, you know, I make a bún thịt nương, or which is a grilled vermicelli noodles with pork or something. And they just sometimes they'll just say out of the blue, I'm so glad to be Vietnamese or I'm so glad. <laughs> I love Asian food. And I love that because when I was growing up, I was just so embarrassed of Vietnamese food. I did not want my mom to bring gói cuốn, the spring rolls, to the class potluck or any anything. I just wanted a tuna casserole. I say this all the time, but that really was my experience. And so for my kids to sit there and say, oh my God, I'm so happy to... <laughs> Vietnamese to be Asian to like love Asian food and have Asian food on a nightly basis with my mom is wow times have changed that is amazing well times have changed but also can you cook for my children because they do not have the same reaction when I put some Vietnamese food in front of them so it must be the bad cooking in our house but I would say it's interesting in terms of the kids potluck now whenever I ring goi kung or spring rolls it is like the first thing to go people love it Asian or not but it's so interesting how that has changed but I would say the fish sauce for everyone still takes a while because <laughs> it's such a strong smell I love it but you can still people take the spring roll and less so the fish sauce yeah you could do the peanut dipping sauce or the brodard sauce that I try to hack at home to do myself <laughs> 
that's that's obviously Brodard is a really famous Orange County restaurant that all the Californian Vietnamese people know, and honestly, a lot of Vietnamese people in America know. And they have those spring rolls that are super famous. But that sauce, I try to replicate that sauce. It is so good. That's so good. Well, I will make sure to link the website to the show notes. But if you don't mind, I'll pivot to the questions I ask everyone on the show, starting with who or what inspires you? I would say two people, my mom and my sister. I just appreciate them so much being strong Vietnamese women and being able to immigrate here with not understanding the language, not understanding the system, not understanding anything about America and being able to provide for our family like they did. And yeah, my mom inspires me. My sister inspires me for the courage and the strength that it took for them to raise our family. Love that. Listening to your story is so inspiring in terms of everything from the journey to the States, the courage to do all the things you did moving around a lot, which is not easy to do as a child multiple times in multiple states, and then creating this brand, which is so mission-led and beautiful and focused on sharing your culture. What are you most proud of? I think I'm most proud of that, just sharing my culture. It's a complete 360 of what my childhood experience was, because like I said, when I was growing up, I was just so ashamed of the food and the traditions of Fed or New Year's and all those things. I really didn't celebrate it. And I was just so bothered by my mom making a big deal about all those things or of the foods. And again, now I just think of simply just in my everyday life of my mom. I just wanted my mom to buy Mr. Coffee machine. That's I just <laughs> and that's it. Instead of making coffee through a fiend and all of that. And so I think that is what I'm most proud of now is just being proud of my culture because it was a journey and with a lot of squiggly roads and turns in between there. But I think now in my 40s and running this company and leading it in a way where I want to share a culture I was so embarrassed of growing up and I kept my Vietnamese name, but there were a lot of times during my youth where I could have changed my name because of when you, for the Vietnamese experience, when you get your immigration paperwork, you can change your name. And there were a lot of times I was like, since I changed school so much, like I would change schools. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to try this new name. (laughs) And so I was like, okay, maybe I'm a Christie. Maybe I'm a Tessa. Maybe there are different, all these different names and things that I were trying out. And I would say just being comfortable in my skin and being comfortable and being 100% Vietnamese and representing my culture is taking that appreciation now is what I'm most proud of. I love it. Love it. Love it. I actually, I could have been a Cynthia or Cindy because my brother and sister go by Michael and Linda for that reason, because we wanted to assimilate. And gosh, everyone has American names, not our funky Vietnamese or Asian names. And my parents put their foot down with me for whatever reason and said, Michael and Linda could pass, but Cindy slash Cynthia, no. So you're going to stay yin. So you could have been talking to a, a Cindy yin. But one interview you did a while back with Medium, I thought was interesting. And you talked about the five things that you attribute to achieving the American dream. And you talked about education, having a thick skin, patience, kindness. But one part I wanted to expand on is believing in luck. And so one question I ask people a lot is, how do you think luck has impacted your life? Good luck, bad luck. But if you could expand on the believing in luck part of that, that would be great. Oh, when luck is presented to you, you have to be prepared to 
push it open and run through the door and run with the luck that you've been given. But to say that I haven't been lucky and to say that it hasn't contributed to my success is, I don't think is accurate at all. It was lucky that my entire family from Vietnam made it to America. My mom talks about family members and other people that she knows that were separated. A brother had to stay in Vietnam and the rest of the family was in America. And so that luck started when I was a baby until just as recently of having founded this company and having investors and friends that believe in me. And so it's just connections and luck that from birth until most recently, I see it all along the way. And I'm appreciative of the luck that I've been given in life for sure. I love the self-awareness with that because a lot of the folks who I've interviewed have started mentioning that more and more that, yes, they work really hard and yes, they're really good at what they do, but gosh, they're so grateful for the luck that they've been given. And it's one of those things that I'm not reflective enough on because it is really so lucky that we came here, we're alive and our parents are took that risk. And so I love that question. I, I started incorporating it into the interview. I ask all my guests to discuss the theme of the show called Growth Room and Failure, but talking more about the failure, for you, it sounded like a really interesting journey. But if you can share your most impactful struggle or hardship or failure, and ultimately, I'm assuming the growth from it, but if you can share that, because I'm assuming the life of an entrepreneur or even a mother or your journey moving around everywhere, but is there one or two impactful moments of struggle that you can share? Most definitely. I think when I think back and my biggest failure and my biggest growth is definitely with my father. I talk about my single mom all the time. And there was a lot of anger there, why he wasn't around during my childhood and what happened between my mom and my dad. You don't understand. But then when you get older and you become a parent and you're in your 40s, you just realize your parents are human and they are growing and learning with you along the way. And sometimes people do a better jobs and sometimes people just suck at it, but it's giving them that grace eventually to see that they are just human and are full of mistakes as well. And so I think my biggest regret is my relationship with my father and not coming to that conclusion and not coming to that moment of forgiveness and grace earlier in my life with him. I didn't expect that answer. And I think it's a beautiful one. How, and really quite powerful, how did that affect your life growing up? Were you angry at your siblings or your mom, or did you take it out on men? Like, I'm curious how that translated through to your life. I think I was angry. My dad was around for a lot of my siblings' lives, and they all have memories and experiences with him. And again, I was the youngest, and I had zero memory and zero experience with him. And so I think that anger carried with me way too long in life. And unfortunately, he passed, and it took for him to pass, and it took for me to actually become really, really close to his daughter, my half sister, that I was really resentful of for so long. But now we are best friends. And I just think, wow, that was time wasted when you could just forgive and love instead of holding on to anger because it only eats at the person. It doesn't, it eats at the other person because you don't know what they're feeling and they want the love or they want the forgiveness too. And so, I think that's it, having the grace and forgiveness for people. And I think that comes with age. Sorry. I don't think I was gotten there any sooner. I was going to say, are there any things you can share about how you got to that stage or you were ready for forgiveness? You had mentioned he had passed and you got closer with your half-sister, but how did that happen in terms of finally getting to the point of acceptance and forgiveness? 
my son is 17 and he is applying to college this summer and doing all his essays and everything. And I think about the time and I was like, crying to him. I was like, it's our last 4th of July together before you're gone. And then it's my birthday. It's our last birthday. (laughs) Like all these things that I'm already like counting down. And then it makes me think back of just being a parent and just thinking about my own dad. And if he felt that way about me or whatever he thought, and I was like, you just would have to be a sociopath not to. And he wasn't a sociopath. He was just a flawed human being and made mistakes. And I think having that experience with my children and loving my children and seeing how the love that you have for your children, it rules your everyday life is it made me realize it. Well, I did not make it easy for him to, that I was angry and that I didn't give him a safe and open space to like approach me in a way that we could have a loving relationship. And so I think it's just my kids taught me that and just time taught me that. Beautiful. I mean, coming back to the name of the brand of Sang and all the different things it means in Vietnamese of bright, beautiful, that embodied that for me. So thank you for sharing that. Two more questions. What does success mean for you? Success means that I would be able to represent Vietnam and anyone to discover our products. I got my first email from a customer, they like made a purchase and they accidentally purchased the oat milk, but they wanted the black or something like that. It was a mistake. And I said, most definitely I'll switch it for you. Just give us a couple of days on our back end. And as I was emailing this customer back and forth and I said, and a lot of the orders now, since we just launched, it's just launched like a month ago, it's a soft launch and all the products will be available in two weeks. A lot of the orders are friends, family, and like people that I know, acquaintances. So when I go on the order list or the Shopify, I recognize a lot of the names or I see a lot of the names and this name I didn't recognize. And so I emailed this person back and I said, oh, by chance, could you just tell me where you found us? And you know, how did you stumble across Sang? And she said, oh, I found you on TikTok because I love Vietnamese coffee. I just started following you on TikTok and the product looked amazing and it looked so delicious. It was a person that wasn't Vietnamese that was just excited to share the product, had had Vietnamese coffee. And so success to me is doing that many times over to share the culture like that. Love it, love it, love it. Slowly but surely, people are going to be obsessed with all things eating and drinking Vietnamese. I love it. Last question. What's next for Lan Pham? What's next for Lan Pham is just growing saying that's the only thing that I can honestly see right now. It's my baby. I have the two kids. And again, I told you my son is going off to college in a year. And so this I'm focusing a lot on this and growing this in a way that my kids can be proud of. And that just makes me excited because they do tell me they're proud of me. Love it. Well, for those who want to learn more, where can they find Sang and more about you? Sure. They can find me on TikTok, like that customer I told you about. It's all all of our handles everywhere are the same. Eat, drink, sang on YouTube, on TikTok, on Instagram, LinkedIn. So, and our website, it's all the same. So yeah, you can find us there and you'll see silly recipe videos of me and trends and whatever (laughs) on all of our socials. Awesome. Well, Lon, thank you so much. I had a blast hearing your story and hearing the mutual love and respect we have for Vietnam, the culture, and also the focus on family. It's quite beautiful and quite sang. So thank you. Oh, thank you, Yin. Thank you so much for having me. I had a great time. 